0: Okay, time to continue with our look at the promises that God has given us. And uh, today we're looking at the promise that He will never leave us nor forsake us and what that means for us on a practical level. So here your Bibles turn to Matthew chapter 28 and we'll look at verses 16 to 20. Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and give this time to the Father in heaven, we thank you once again for an opportunity to learn from you. We pray that your Spirit would be teaching us now your ways, that our hearts and our minds would be open to your truth, and that you would illuminate us with that truth. Father, help us to live that truth that we learned today, that we might grow and bear fruit for you. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the Spirit that has been given to us, and we thank you for the fellowship that we have with you because of the work of Jesus Christ. Bless us now as we seek to learn. From our Lord and Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. One of the most precious and quoted promises for believers um, is that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Often when we find ourselves in difficult times, the thing we remind ourselves often, first of all, that he's there with me. So um, the passage we just read, Jesus goes away to a mountain and he brings the 11 disciples with him and he, he tells them, He co- is commanding them um, to go from that place, from Jerusalem, to go into all the world, into all nations, baptising people and making disciples of them. And he asked them to teach them all the commands that he had given them, that they would follow them as well. But he adds this uh, promise as well to that command. So in that command where he says, go out, into all the world, and regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of whatever situations you may be in, he says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that is an absolute blessing of a promise. Because we find ourselves this morning, and I did the calculation last night, thanks to Google, once again, I have to give them credit for some things, um, that we are exactly, 13,707 kilometres from that promise, from that command, okay? So from the command that went out in Jerusalem that Jesus gave to his disciples, we find ourselves 2,000 years later, this gospel that was started there has reached here in Australia to the uttermost ends of the earth. It has already gone. And Jesus has said, well, basically, if you're like me, um, you're holding on to that promise that he gave to them that regardless of the time, regardless of the place, or where you may find yourself, you may find yourself in the North Pole, the South Pole, you may find yourself in whatever part of the world there is, um, that, he, that He is there with you, and He is here with us this morning. We not only believe that Jesus is here with us this morning, and that He can be at every place, all at the same time, but we find ourselves and are reminded constantly that 2,000 years later, he continues to live. He is eternal by nature. Regardless of how long, regardless of how, how far, Jesus always keeps his promises. We definitely haven't reached the end of the world yet. Okay, We're still sitting here. Okay, But even at the end of the world, we believe that he will still be with us. Even when we reach that particular point, that we will be with him and he will be with us wherever that may be. And the other verse is often quoted. If you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, it's related to this, this one as well. It's related to this passage in Matthew. So Hebrews thirteen verse five and verse six say, "Let your conversation." Now, when the KJV used the word conversation, think of that as your lifestyle. We don't tend to use that word conversation that way. We think of it just as the way you talk with someone else. But when the when the word word was translated conversation, that means your whole lifestyle, the way you interacted with everyone, not just with your words, but with with your whole life. When people saw you. They looked at you in that particular way. So when it says, let your conversation be without covetousness, it's saying, let your life be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Now just let me just unpack that a little bit for you. We're encouraged to live lives... Without desiring, and the word coveting means you desire the goods of someone else. You become jealous of them, okay? And that you want what they want. You envy other people. And so that's, if you were to to break down covetousness into two words, envy and jealousy, are probably going to be right in the middle of that, okay? So that we're encouraged to live lives without desiring the things that other people have. And that may be not just not just material things, but you may covet their wealth, you may covet their fame, you may covet their power or popularity, you may covet the fact that they have a lot of friends and you don't have as many friends, you may covet the fact that they have security that you don't have, you, you may covet the fact that they're more beautiful than you, maybe their looks, maybe their talent, maybe you might covet their relationships or anything else that they may possess which you can become jealous of. And the Bible says, don't cover other people's things, other people's relationships, other people's lives. We are to live live lives, according to the Lord, that are totally lacking and totally void of jealousy and envy. How easy is that to do? But the truth of the matter is, (coughs) truly, when we consider what we have, how can we be jealous of other people? How can you, or how can I, who have Christ in our lives, who have eternal life given to us, who have the security of a home in heaven, who have the riches of heaven bestowed upon us, who have been adopted into God's family, who have the Holy Spirit of redemption living within us, who are called the ambassadors of God to this world, the children of God, and many, many other things. How can we, how could we be jealous of other people? Especially those who don't have eternal life. It's like a living person being jealous of a dead person. That's how foolish it is for us to be envious of other people. We are instead told to be content with whatever we have. And that may be very little, even from the world's perspective, because of what Jesus promised us. Because he said, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. It means that wherever we find ourselves, whatever little we have in possessions or friends or relationships or anything else that the world may deem valuable, we have Him. We have Him here now. I'll have Him tomorrow and the next day and in a week's time and in a month and in a year and He will never leave me. I have the riches of heaven already promised to me and if I, have, if I have him, I have everything. Amen. And so for me to be envious or jealous and covet someone else's goods is like a person who has the world and more coveting something that they don't, they don't have. It's foolishness. And that's why it says here, um, he says, be content with such things that you have because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you which makes him the prized possession. That makes him. And so he says here that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. There's nothing that anyone else can do to me that's going to be a problem. Think about it for a while. How many times have we found ourselves comparing ourselves to others? How many times have you thought about, oh, that person's got that. Why did they have that and I don't? Why is that person so admired and I'm not? Why does that person have this ability that I don't? Now, the devil plays games with us and our flesh, you need to remember, wants to be worshipped. It wants to be central in your life. It wants you to worship it as God. And it continually needs to be fed. And the flesh is that area of us. If you're born again this morning, we haven't eradicated the flesh. That's why there is, the Bible says, that we are in a fight. And it's called the good fight, by the way. And it's a daily fight. And it's a fight for us to keep that thing subdued. Because that's the area in our lives that will try to manipulate, that will tell us you don't have something that you need to have. Or you deserve something more than what God's given you. Or it will cause you to be discontent when you compare yourself to other people because the flesh is like that. In all of these things, we often struggle to remember, once again, our most precious possession. And if you have this possession... There is no need of other possessions. Honestly, you don't need anything else. If you have Christ as your possession, you have everything. You have God Himself as your possession. If you may be justified asking this question: Why is the belief that the Lord will never leave us so important? Why? Well, in that context, why is it so important that the Lord will never leave us, nor say us? So important to us today. Well, the main reason for this is that we are living in a fallen and hazardous world. It is under the influence of a powerful and invisible enemy who is determined to stop us and thwart what we do and, and for, from being witnesses to Jesus and the fact that he also hates all of mankind. This invisible enemy is, the Bible says, the God of this world. He is the prince of the power of the air. He hasn't been put in chains yet. The Bible says that he has humanity enslaved and oppressed. And he has them at a particular point. And this is this is if you think about it, if you're an oppressor, if you want power and dominion over someone, you can't be in a better place to have dominion and power over someone than to have dominion and, and power over someone who doesn't think that they're being oppressed or subjugated, who thinks that they are free. But you've got them trapped in between four little walls and they can only go in certain directions. And this is the state of the world. So the Bible says that as believers now, we are, we are in a foreign land. We are in enemy territory. We are no longer in our, our, our old state where we were just happily going along with everyone else, happily sitting in our little cells. And kept within the boundaries of our flesh, the Bible says we've been set free now. But sometimes freedom can be a bit scary. Would you agree with that? You know, when you've lived your entire life in a cell, and this happens to animals too. You ever seen videos of animals that have been, you know, caged, and then they open the door, and then the animal doesn't know what to do, because all that wide open space out there, that can be actually a bit scary. And this, is what, where Christians, some Christians themselves. and this is where some of Christians find themselves. And this is where sometimes people fall back into the, the, the idea of having to have laws to restrict us. So they heap laws upon themselves because laws make certain people feel more safe. So certain people throw extra laws on themselves because you know what, I was restricted for so long, but now I've got complete freedom in Christ now I have to add more and more laws to make sure that I feel that I'm safe. I'm not talking about the laws of Christ, I'm talking about other laws that people make up for themselves. The Bible says we are are strangers in a foreign land, dangerous place, with landmines everywhere, and and an enemy that seeks to destroy us, to stop us from doing what we've been called to do, which is to be lights in the world, the salt of the earth, and witnesses for Jesus Christ. And because we have no inherent strength within ourselves, we need his strength. That's why we rely on him to be with us and never forsake us. Because if he would ever leave us or forsake us, there is no strength within us to be able to resist the devil, the flesh, and all the temptations that would come our way. What we have that's good in us, is what he's given to us and who he is. The Bible says that when we are weak, he shows himself to be very strong. This is something we remind ourselves of as well. In First John chapter 4, verse 4, the Apostle John says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, and that is our hope. And that is the surety that we have, that that the one who now lives within us is greater than any opposing force, greater than all the power of the enemy. And we looked at that video on Friday night, and we looked at this topic of UFOs and, and aliens and all that sort of thing, and where they may be coming from. And what becomes very clear with all of those things and people being abducted and being fearful of their lives And that's happened to apparently hundreds of thousands of people they've documented. The thing is, at the name of Jesus, all those entities flee. Because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. Because we also experience the frailty of having fallen bodies, the Lord hasn't chosen to give us new bodies just yet. And notice when it gets cold, we feel cold. When it gets hot, we wear out. We have pains. We get sick. We experience all the same things and and weaknesses that the world experiences. We have the same bodies that they do. God hasn't given us new bodies yet. But there is a promise that he's going to do that one day. But because we experience the frailty of having fallen human bodies, genetic mutations that have been passed down to us from our parents and, and from their parents, We may have bad experiences that we grew up with, or bad experiences even in our adulthood. maybe before we were saved, and all the complications that go with these, because sometimes dealing with bad, bad things that happen to you, end up living with you for a long time, because you don't know how to deal with them. We experience the same things that the world experiences. We're also susceptible to be influenced by them, we can be also affected if we're not careful by worldly way of thinking. To begin, if we surround ourselves with their way of thinking and and constantly are bathed in that type of of philosophy, we find ourselves thinking that way (coughs) if we're not careful. We need to be careful that we don't, We don't get overcome. We become overcome by by human fears and anxieties as well, which also arise from our flesh. We also feel pain and we get sick and we struggle with our health sometimes. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: But in our weakness, we need our shepherd to be with us. We need to know that our shepherd is with us every step of the way. To win this daily fight for us, To be strong on our behalf. What a comfort is to know that when he confirms his presence to us, he's telling us, I'm with you. It's okay. Sometimes he does do that for us when we need him. His presence is a confirmation that he is guiding us, protecting us, and that he ultimately loves us. And these three things. Are the things that we need to have confidence in because He is with us. So just repeat those for you. He is guiding us, so He's leading us in the way. He protects us by His power, and ultimately, that all is wrapped up in the fact that He loves us. That's why He doesn't leave us. So let's look at the first part. He's guiding us. One of the most precious pictures that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ is Him as our great Shepherd. And he says of himself that he, he loves his sheep so much that he what? That he gives his life for his sheep. That's the type of love that he has for us. And he's shown that love to us already. But as a shepherd, he continues to lead and guide us. Turn with me to Psalm 23. And we'll just look at a quick breakdown of this, uh, of this psalm, which you all know very well, I'm sure. Okay. But I want us to to see this in the light of the fact that he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And and he does that because he's guiding us and leading us every single day of our lives as our shepherd. And we are the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23, verse 1. I'll just read each verse and then I'll give you a little bit of a description about each one. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Psalm of David, The Lord... Is my shepherd I shall not want. You know, I love the way the song begins. If you have the Lord as your shepherd, you have no needs or wants. He is your provision. Just as a Hebrew passage you saw before, be content with whatsoever you have. It's the same thing. It's saying exactly the same thing. It's saying that if you have Jesus, if you have him as your shepherd, you have no wants. Be content with what you have, because you have him. Verse 2 says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So as our shepherd, He also leads us to an abundant life. Jesus did promise. He came to give us life and life to the full. He leads us to great abundance and He also leads us to rest. He provides us with refreshment. Verse 3 says, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. When our soul is weary and burdened with sin, the first restoration that we, we experienced was the fact that we had all our sins forgiven because he paid the penalty on that cross. And the Bible says, because we were laden with sin and we were enemies of God and we were under the judgment and wrath of Almighty God. The Bible says that He took that punishment for us. He paid for our sins and because He shed His blood, that blood cleanses from every sin and stain. So He restored our souls. But sometimes even in this life, in this new life that we that we live in Him, we find ourselves wearied. our souls wearied. We find ourselves struggling and burdened with some sins that we would rather they not be there, but they pop their heads up every now and then. in those cases, the Bible says that we find forgiveness in Him. Because He is righteous. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we come to Him. And He leads us in these paths of righteousness. He shows us the path to live righteously. You'll notice for whose purpose it is, for whose, for whose name is it? Is it for my name? that I do it, is living righteously and being forgiven of all my sins for Frank. So that Frank can look, look fantastic in front of everyone and I can build up a wonderful reputation in front of everyone. No, it's got nothing to do with me. It's not for me. It's for him. If he rescues us from our sin, if he restores our soul, if he leads us in the paths of righteousness, he gets all the glory because he deserves it. When he he grants us the grace that we need to live for him each and every day, um, the ones who seek his care, his name is magnified in our lives. And that's our purpose, to glorify him. That his name will be lifted up and magnified in our lives because he grants us everything that we need. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. You know, following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be going through green pastures every day. It doesn't say here that he's going to help us avoid every place where death or danger is lurking. It says here that even though I'm walking through the valley of a shadow of death, even where, where death lurks, where foes seek our destruction, the Bible says I oh, there's no need to fear. Even when we find ourselves at death's door, ready to say goodbye to this world and enter into the next, the Bible says there is no need to fear. Even at that particular point, he is with us. He never leaves us. Isn't it a wonder that as as human beings, we can boldly walk through death, through that door, knowing that our Saviour is walking with us. There is no other people on this planet who have that joy. Do you know of any other religion, any other faith, where their Saviour says, oh, I'm going to be with you right then and there. And you know what? When that door opens, who do I find on the other side? Jesus. I find Him. Is there any other faith that, that grants that type of love that type of of assurance there is none because i'll tell you something regardless of whatever religion you may find in this world none of them will guarantee that when you open that door what you're going to find on the other side none of them know but we know because the one who loves us and gave himself for us is with us on this side and then greets us from the other side there is no need to fear there is no need to fear evil either. The Bible says there is no need for us to worry about or to, 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 uh, to fill our minds with what the enemy is trying to do against us. No need. No need to fear. Just do what you'll be called to do day by day. Be faithful. Don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You worry about what you're doing. You just do what you're supposed to do and God will take care of the rest. Be where he wants you to be. Say what he wants you to say. Live the way he wants you to live. And at the end of the day, if the world comes and kills you, you go go through that door. Who cares? The apostle Paul said he was he was torn between being here and being with the Lord. Right? He was torn. He was he was. What's the word that he uses? Straight. He was st- straight. He was straight between two. Yeah, you know, he was straight between two years, so he was confining. He, he was torn between two things: wanting to be with the Lord, and and needing to be with the, the brethren to continue to encourage them. I'm sure after what all the things Paul experienced, there, there would have been times in his life when he thought, "Lord, just take me home. I'm ready to go." And we'll have a look at some of those uh, in a moment. But isn't that different to everyone else in the world? Paul said he wanted to be home with the Lord. He wants to do it. I know there are some saints that I know who would love to be with the Lord right now. But we should all want to be with the Lord right now. So the Bible says, even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you may have the gravest illness, you may be under the attack of, uh, of other people, you may be in a place where you're about to be killed simply for believing in Jesus. And you can go through that door very boldly. You can go through that door without fear. Because there's nothing, there's nothing that you're going to find that's unexpected on the other side. He's already told us. And he's already there waiting for us. But the Bible doesn't say, when we find ourselves through difficult times, he's abandoned us. Don't ever think to yourself. Don't ever imagine in your mind, this is what the devil brings in that if you're going through hard times in your life, you're going through a dark place in your life, that somehow that means that he doesn't love you anymore or he's abandoned you. <coughs> because that would contradict the very promise that he has made. And I would rather believe that promise than believe what the devil's trying to tell me, that's for sure. Because if the devil can convince you that because of what you're going through, he has abandoned you, then he's got you at a very vulnerable point. He can't rob you of your salvation, but he can rob you of the joy of your salvation, that's for sure. And if he robs you of the joy of your salvation, he'll rob you being a witness of Jesus Christ. And he's got you immobilised. He has you, he has you um, not being able to fulfil your calling. Let's continue. Verse 5 says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Though anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Even our enemies, the Bible says, can't help but see what we have. Our cup runs over. We're anointed with his his blessings each and every day. And that's not necessarily blessings that are either health, wealth or prosperity. No, 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 I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the joy that comes from having Jesus Christ in your life. The world can understand that joy. It cannot. It's a a joy that the world cannot comprehend because it doesn't know Him. And so when your enemies behold you and even in the midst of whatever you're going through in your life, um, they see this wonderful expression on your face. They see this calmness. They see this joy that just comes out. And so verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When Christ is your shepherd who leads you, then good and mercy will always follow you. And the promise that he's given to us is that we will dwell with him forever. The Lord is truly perfectly loving, perfectly loving. And he is perfectly powerful. And if if he is on your side, there is no one who can come against you. The Bible says there is no weapon that's fashioned that can actually overcome us. There is no safer place to be. There is no more joyful place to be than as a sheep in his flock. No more. You know, Isaac read Psalm 91 for us. And I purposely asked him, or we got him to read that psalm, because it relates so well to what I'm speaking about today. It speaks about the Lord being our refuge and our fortress. Because he is with us, he delivers us and protects us. He keeps us, in a, she says, in a secret place. I love that, that phrase. He keeps in a secret place. You know where you are at the moment? The Bible says you are in Christ. Mm-hmm. You are in that secret place. The world doesn't know it, doesn't see it, can't comprehend it, but the Bible says we are in a secret place. Hidden in Jesus Christ. We are always under the shadow of his wings, under his protection. He is our refuge and our fortress. No evil can penetrate that place. He is our shield, our buckler, and we do not need to fear anything that may come our way. We need not fear enemies who hate us. In fact, the Bible says, if you, if you are reminded of this, the Bible says that we are to even love our enemies. We need not fear enemies, the night, the darkness, the weapons of man, diseases, or anything that the world fears. Because they fear those things, we have no need to fear them. For death can't separate us from him. No illness can separate us from him. And the Bible says he's even charged his angels to watch over us because we know there's an invisible war going on in the background that we can't see. We don't have to worry about it because he's got that covered. He's got the invisible world covered. He's got the heavenly places covered. He's got plenty of angels to take care of you and me. If you ever find your flesh rising up and causing you to fear... Then ninety-one. Psalm 91 is a really good psalm to turn to. I'm going to share one more with you. Psalm 121. Turn with me there. Psalm 121. This verse is 1 to 8. Psalm 121 verse 1 says, A song of degrees. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. If the Lord is with us, then he will preserve us forevermore. He will specifically deliver us from evil when evil seeks to have dominion over you, he will deliver you from that. And that's what the Lord, that's why the Lord includes in the, when they asked him, how, teach us how to pray. He said, pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is also not one that sleeps or slumbers. He doesn't have naps during the day, like I do sometimes. He doesn't get tired. He, doesn't, he isn't wearied. He doesn't have, have to have a sleep. So you know whatever time of the day or night that you need him, you know he's always there. And he will always answer and he always hears. He's always ready to shield us from whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. No, he doesn't get tired. And he helps us along the way. He's constant. He is always comforting and his presence is always active. He doesn't stop. And we can look to him at any time. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. We read verses twenty-eight to thirty-one. When he has promised us He will never leave us, nor forsake us. And as we travel along this road that uh, that we call life, internal life that we have received already, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with, what do you have in your Bibles? Wings. Isn't that a wonderful picture of how the Lord leads us, sustains us, empowers us to live for Him. Because he is always with us. I'm sure that you felt, I don't know, I think you always have. Do you know that feeling you get when you share the gospel with someone? And God's opened that door, and somehow there's a conversation that starts, and you share what Christ has done for you, and you find yourself talking. And even though you may be weary and even though you may have a headache and even though whatever else it may be, all of a sudden you perk up and you have energy. And then after you've had that conversation you've shared Christ with someone, you walk away elated because you've shared what you have in here with them. And you know that what has changed your life can change their life too. God empowers us. He energises us for the task at hand. I'm sure there have been times and I know this happens to me on Sunday mornings as well. This morning I had... I woke up with a, a lovely migraine. Fantastic, um, and I get to the stage, and I get to the stage this morning where I couldn't see half of the, half of my vision. Okay, so I get, I get those migraines that I start seeing all these things happening in front of me. It starts as small, and so when I woke up this morning, I thought, "There we go, there it is," and then as it grew. And as I as I began to see less and less, I took my usual Advil, whatever it is. Um, I drank. I, I I did a couple other things that normally help. But by this stage, by the time I got to church, there was no hint of that anymore. And I, and God's given me an energy to share. Whenever I'm sharing, I don't know about you guys. I, I'm a very I've shared this with some people before. I'm actually introvert by nature. Don't laugh. I'm actually a, a really introverted person. It's actually, it's actually it, sometimes when I was growing up, it was actually quite crippling for me. It was actually difficult for me. Whenever I'm in a group, whenever I'm in that sort of situation, I struggle in that situation. That is not me. My, my, my natural state is to be one on one with a person. But as soon as I find myself in a larger group, all of a sudden I start going. I lose it. It's true. And you might, yeah, you might think, no why, Pastor Frank, you're so, you're such a people person. I'm actually not. That's not me. I actually struggle with that. But not when I'm in church. And when I get behind the pulpit and start sharing the word of God, for whatever reason, it's like I'm a different person. I don't have fears. God gives me an ability to be able to share the word and to be able to and to hopefully encourage you and to, and to challenge you every Sunday, but that's not me talking. There's something going on up here. Okay? It's not me. And I might not speak perfectly or as eloquently as every other um, uh, uh, preacher out there, but I know something's going on. And it's not me, because this is not my natural state to be talking in front of a crowd. God does wonderful things. The Bible says that He giveth power to the faint. He giveth them that have no might He increases strength. And even though youths may may get wearied and young men utterly fail, the Bible says they that wait upon the Lord, showing you their strength, and they shall mount up. It's a beautiful picture of how the Lord sustains us. He's always with us, and He empowers us to do His work. But while you may ask, do these promises mean when those who seek to follow you, you may have asked this in your mind, you might be asking this even now, but Pastor Frank, you know how the Bible says that God's going to deliver us and protect us and all that sort of stuff? Hang on a sec, but all those people that followed him, when we look at them in the Bible, most of those got killed. Yeah. If the Lord's protecting us and guiding us, um, those who were the most faithful to him are those who experienced the most suffering. What about his protection for them? What about the promises of deliverance from bad situations? Does he go back on his promises when he doesn't rescue us from the people who hate us and they end up killing us? What about when we get sick, we experience loss? What do these these verses mean then? What what are they? How are we supposed to read those verses when things don't go right for us and we experience great loss or persecution? You know, every one of the apostles was killed for believing in Christ. And even John, except for John, and he was imprisoned in a a prison island on hard (coughs) labour. um john the baptist had his head chopped off
1: the
0: bible says that all the prophets in the old testament were were killed most of them were killed in pretty nasty ways for sharing god's message to people why do so many people suffer persecution who call the name of christ I and mean, where's god Why have believers throughout the ages, and we've always been the minority, suffered more than other people in the world? At the hands especially of those who hated them? Well, to answer that, it's probably good for us to start with our Saviour's life. Turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 31, because it doesn't just happen to us. Now, would you agree with me that if there's anyone who deserves to claim all the promises of God's protection and and uh, and guidance and everything um, from evil, wouldn't it have been Jesus? He deserves it more than everyone else, right? Because he was the only one in, in the history of the world to live a perfectly righteous life. So, you know, he should be the example of, of being able to claim all these promises for deliverance from evil and all this other stuff where that that Christian's experience. But it it says in Mark 8.31, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus, who was perfect, Person in the history of the world was to suffer many, many things. You know, Isaiah calls him a man <clears throat> acquainted with grief. It called him a man of sorrows. Hang on, that doesn't sound like a uh, wonderful life, there, does it? Why did God the Father? Why did God the Father allow him to go through so much suffering? And what does that mean for His promises to me then? Well, let's look at the Apostle Paul for a moment. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. What about this, this wonderful Apostle who wrote all these letters for us in the Bible? And, who, and because of his work, we, we are sitting here today because he reached the Gentiles with the Gospel, Right? We have much to, to be thankful for, for the life of the Apostle Paul. But have a listen to listen to the Apostle Paul, the, the, the Apostle of Christ, to the Gentiles. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, when he refers to himself um, and compares himself to other uh, ministers and, and servants of Christ, he says in verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, in labours more abundant, In stripes, above measure. You know what stripes are? The whips, okay? Being whipped, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I. Forty stripes saved one. Five times. Do you know it was... You were... I don't know you like to use the word lucky. But if you survived a forty lashes less one, if you survived one of those, you were considered fortunate by them. Paul endured those five times. Um, I suspect his back would have looked pretty raw, to be honest with you. Someone who's been whipped that much, that doesn't heal very well. Let's continue. In verse 25 he says, Thrice, three times, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times, thrice, I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in water, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Beside those things which are without, which means things that came to him from the outside, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak. Who is offended, and I burn not. If I must need glory, if I have to glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine. Infirmities. You know that when you read those words and you compare it to the modern day gospel that God is promising every believer wealth, health, prosperity and you never have to go through anything if you have Jesus, you, you have it all you can, you can put, look at a, a mansion and say God I want that mansion over there and I want to drive a Ferrari and God you've got to keep me Uh, you know, uh, away from every type of illness. And that is so, so different. And Paul calls himself a minister of Christ. A minister is simply a servant. Every time you say the word minister, it's simply a servant. So you know, if Paul was a minister, you know what we are?
1: We're
0: ministers. Every one of us is called to be a servant of Christ. We serve him. That's our calling. And so 1 Peter, actually turn me to 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to share something with you there. This is a bit of a sidetrack quickly. If you don't consider yourself a servant of Christ and you've missed something, okay, You've missed something. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister, serve. Okay? That same gift one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every believer is not only a servant to each other. Right to others, a servant of others, because Christ made him a servant of mankind, made himself a servant of mankind. But we are stewards of God's grace that He gives us, which means we are called to look after that and use that for His glory. Verse eleven says, "If any man speak, this is all of you. Whatever you say, if any man speak, let him speak as of the oracles of God, as if God Himself was talking through you. If any man minister, that's serving, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth." That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom we praise and dominion forever and ever. You've been given abilities. You've been told to speak words. Do them for His glory. That's what He's called us to. In that sense, we serve Him. So, okay, I haven't answered the question then. We know Jesus went through his sufferings. We know all the the, the prophets went through his sufferings. We know all the apostles either died or in prison for their sufferings. We know that Christians are the most persecuted group in this world and have always been the most persecuted. Um, How does that reflect with all those other things, with those promises? Okay, let me share with you some points. The sufferings we endure today, point number one, the sufferings we endure today are always an opportunity to be a comfort to others. Because we receive comfort from the Lord when we go through them. Does that make sense to everyone? The stuff we go through, regardless of what it is, whether we go through illness, whether we go through uh, loss, whether we go through persecution, doesn't matter what it is that you may not like. The Bible says God comforts us through those times. And because we go through those things and God has comforted us through those times, the Bible says we can be a comfort to others. Now I'll share that scripture verse with you and you can write it down. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse three to five. Turn with me there. Second Corinthians chapter one verse three to five. This is how we serve. This is what we've been called to as his disciples, as his servants. Okay? Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith... We ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. You know what it's saying there? It's saying whatever you go through in your life, there is comfort that's available to you through Jesus. God doesn't say, I'm going to stop you from suffering. I'm going to to shield you from suffering. But what it says is that whatever you go through in your life, He's going to be there to comfort you all the way through. And when you get through the end of that experience in your life and you say, thank you, Lord, for getting me through this, because you were there every step of the way. Remember, I never leave you nor forsake you. There's going to be someone else. He's going to put in your way. There's going to be someone else who you're going to meet, you're going to be with, who's going to be going through the same thing. And you, you know what you're then called to do? To comfort them with the same comfort that you've received from Christ. Point number one. Point number two. There is nothing in this world that you can possess, even if you possess the whole world and everything in it, that can compare with what you already have in Christ Jesus. Okay. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Now, we're speaking about suffering, we're speaking about going through difficult times in our lives and how it is that God makes promises to us that don't seem to match. But what I'm telling you is you need to look at this in context because in the context of what we've been given, eternal life, the time we go through these sufferings is so minute, it's not worthy to be even compared. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Yea, doubtless, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. That is Paul's goal in his life. To know Christ, His Saviour, to experience and enter into the sufferings that he he went through as well. And there is nothing in this world that compares to that to having Christ in your life. Every bad opportunity. The Bible says that all things work together for good, within the love of the Lord, right? Now, that's not just good times. That is bad times as well. So every bad thing, every experience you go through, which is considered bad, okay, which you may struggle with, is another opportunity for you to grow closer to Jesus Christ. And that's more important than the pain you're going to go through that is more important, the result of that is more important than the suffering you're going to experience. Because the relationship you have with Christ will endure forever. That is the precious thing. And our our goal should be to fully experience Him in our lives, to know Him on a deeper level. And if that means going through suffering and pain, I'm going to walk through that. Point three. Whatever sufferings we endure in our lives while on the earth cannot be compared to the glory that we have waiting for us. Mm -hmm. Romans 8, 18. If you want to just turn with me there, we've got one more point and we're done. Romans 8, verse 18. This same Apostle Paul who'd been whipped five times, been in shipwrecks, being in peril, naked, hungry, is saying this. For I reckon, in Romans 8.18, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Have you got that? Whatever you go through today is not even, you can't even compare to what's coming for you, to what's already in store. You know, um, those of you who've had operations in the hospital, right? Ever been and had an operation? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> several. Okay. Several. Okay,
1: all right. We <laughs> we'll make this a... who's that one, who's that two, who's at three? Do I hear one?
0: <laughs> um I'm sure some of you have had a few. Well, I've had one, okay? I've had one major one. I had a heart, I had a heart operation. Okay, I had a faulty valve in my heart, which they fixed it. Now, I could be here today with you um, in a very different way. I may not be here I all. I, I might not have been here at all if I didn't pick, pick, pick this thing up and find out how to fix it, okay? Uh, did I go through pain? Oh, hey, you bet. Went through pain for that one there. Um, was it a good experience for me?
1: No, no. no. Not really.
0: Am I better off because I had it? Yes. yes. Okay, there was a benefit to it, right? And that's the way most medicine works. Medicine, I mean they make it taste sweet these days, but medicine used to be very bitter. And any operation is never a, a, a good experience, right? Any operation you have. And even an ingrown toenail and those sorts of things, never never good. Um even ingrown hairs and stuff like that are just for something so small it can cause a whole lot of pain. But here's the point. When they, while they're fixing it, you go through suffering, correct? Mm -hmm. But then the result is worth it. The result of what you're going through is worth it, isn't it? Now, I want you to compare what we, the sufferings we go through, compared to the glory that's coming. (coughs) And if that suffering causes us to grow closer to our Savior, if it causes us, Jesus says, to build up treasures for yourself in heaven. You know how you're going to find you're going to go through the most suffering? By being faithful to him. You can take it easy. As a Christian, you can step back. You've got that freedom to make that choice. But I'll share something with you today. If you decide to step back and not go where God wants you to be, It's going to be your loss. Because you'll lose something that you could have had in heaven. When you you follow Christ, what I will guarantee you is that you'll experience more suffering. But the reward is out of this world. The reward is unbelievable. The reward can't be compared to whatever you're going to go through. Even if they... Lock your head off. It's nothing in comparison. You're going to get so much more for so little. And that's how we should be viewing every suffering we go through. Every suffering is an opportunity for us to grow closer to Him. It's an opportunity for us to glorify Him. It's an opportunity for us to comfort other people with what we've been given and what we've gone through. It's an opportunity to build up treasure in heaven. So I'll guarantee you something, that if you follow Christ, if you choose today to follow Him, tomorrow you're going to have more suffering. But God bless you if you do. Because it means you're worthy of Him. And you're worthy to enter into His sufferings. Which brings me to my final point. Why Why should we happily go through sufferings and endure persecution and ridicule and whatever else may come our way simply for saying that we believe in Christ, it's because there is no suffering that you can go through, no tribulation you will experience, no trial that can come your way that's ever going to separate you from His love. Turn to Romans chapter 8, our final passage. Romans 8, verse 35. Romans 8.35 says who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake we are killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter yeah you read that right We are accounted as sheep ready for the slaughter. We're killed all the day long, Lord, for your sake. Verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. This is the same Paul that experienced all those things in his life. He said, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. (coughs) There is nothing coming. There is nothing you can't see. There is nothing in this world or in heaven or under this world that can ever separate you from His love. And don't let the devil ever try and convince you otherwise. Regardless of whatever circumstances you go through in your life, he allows us to go through it because he wants to show us he's there with us. He wants to help you and comfort you through it. He wants you to grow into a stronger relationship with him. He wants you to bless other people through that experience. He wants to make us more like our saviour. Who was willing to go to that cross and die for us. God's ultimate goal in life is to not to protect you from every suffering, not to shield you from every bad experience, it's to make you more like Him. And that, my friends, should be our goal, to be more like Him each and every day. God bless you.